On November 14, 2010, SDC Executive Director Laura Penn sat down for a one-on-one conversation with Directors Ann Kaufman and Jonathan Moscone to discuss artistic leadership in today's theater. Hello, I'm SDC Director Daniel Sullivan, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by SDCF and the American Theater Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. I'm Laura Penn, Executive Director of SDC and the Foundation, and I want to thank TCG for helping us uh, promote this today. So why are we here talking to John and Annie today? Well, as I'd mentioned, John is the first Fitchandler, and Annie is the latest Schneider Award winner. At a time when um, the landscape is shifting across the country for practicing artists, particularly for directors, these two are forging their ways quite successfully um, through a complex terrain, working in specific communities with communities of artists. They're leaders inside the rehearsal hall and outside the rehearsal hall. And so that's why we're here with them. So um, I uh, am going to uh, just take a moment. Zelda Fitchandler, I think, as most of us know, was the founder of the Arena Stage. Um, Many will uh, credit her and a handful of others with founding the regional theater movement. Uh, Arena was founded in 1950. In 68, she produced The Great White Hope, which was the first production to move to Broadway from a regional theater. She uh, toured productions of Inherit the Wind to the Soviet Union, St. Petersburg, Moscow. Um, Like many other regional theaters, she cultivated a resident acting company. Uh, When she retired as producing artistic director, she had achieved the longest tenure of any non-commercial producer in American theater. She's chair emeritus of NYU's graduate acting program. She's received the George Abbott, the John Houseman, the Margot Jones, the National Medal of Arts, and she's the first artistic leader outside of New York to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Allen was a prolific director and mentor, responsible for over 100 productions in the American theater. He introduced American audiences to Beckett, Albee, Michael Weller, uh, Bertolt Breck. He taught at Catholic University, Juilliard, University of California, San Diego, was associated at Arena for 30 years, and was co-artistic director of the acting company. Uh, he was killed in a traffic a- accident in 1984. It was at that time that the Allen Schneider Memorial Fund was established to support the honor that um, Annie just received. Uh, Personally, I feel blessed to be here talking with both of them. I actually happened to have been at Arena Stage in 1984 when Alan was killed. Um, And I remember the haunting moment um, in the hallways of Arena. Zelda was still there as artistic director, and it became the impression of how significant a director um, can be on the life of an institution uh, became very clear to me as a young administrator. So um, I would like to begin not at the beginning, but I'd like to ask you both if you might um, share with us. I think the grant makers know why you received these awards, <coughs> but I think we'd like to know what they have meant to you, what impact they've had, um, and whether they've leveraged into something else. 
I guess I'll start. Um, <laughs> John, directing again. Um, I know, really. Uh, uh, and that's mine, hon. Oh, no, this is mine. <laughs> so, um, I think... Well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, something that feels significant to me in terms of um, how a director makes his or her way through the world is that it's, you know, there is no path and that... Really, um, uh, my career uh, or any director's career, especially freelance director's career, uh, is made up of, uh, of, of individual plays, uh, ind- individual projects. Um, so it becomes a, it's, it's sort of, a, it feels very ephemeral, you know, sort of my, my work in a way, because obviously the uh, theater is very ephemeral. And when I don't have, you know, as I'm traveling like a vagabond from place to place um, doing uh, individual projects. It's hard to sort of make a whole out of that um, experience. And I think for me, the, uh, the most significant sort of um, uh, the, the meaning of this award for me is really to have a cohesive kind of uh, um, perspective on my, on my overall, you know, my past, my, my career so far. Um, uh, and it sort of, it feels, it, it gives it a kind of permanence and a, and a validity, actually, um, to, to have received, to have received this. Um, also, I think, I think something that's, that, I mean, Alan Scheider uh, was a great sort of model of, um, he is, he's a, he was a director who, who impacted, I think, uh, uh, the American theater's path, or by introducing these playwrights uh, to the American theater and having the bravery to um, to pursue to pursue these you know uh, these playwrights who are challenging, uh, he actually had an impact on the terrain of of the American theater. And I think um, the kind of work I do, I do uh, largely. I, I'm involved in new work and uh, new work that is. Um, that is also challenging uh, formally and uh, content-wise, et cetera, I like to think that um, I might have uh, a larger impact on the, on the landscape of American theater at some point. Um, and so by having him as, as the sort of overseer of, you know, the, of my, my award or, or you know, coming directly from him, I feel that responsibility, and, it, and it's um, one that I've been thinking about uh, a lot in my career. So, um, so I guess that's the John. That's the, yeah. um, I I think w- why that the the award mattered to me when I got it was um, that it seemed like, uh, and it wasn't just about creativity, but it seemed to have something to do with being focused on a specific region yes. and regional life and I've pretty much always been interested in community theater like I've not in terms of uh, I like the term actually I don't I don't dismiss it in the way that like Lee or something but it's uh, that theaters that theater belongs and, and matters to a society a particular society at, at its own at its at its time and and uh, I've always felt uh, passionate about being a citizen in um, in the Bay uh, in the community, and I love the Bay Area. It fits me. It works really well. 
for me. It's the right place for me to be. And I've had no interest in sort of commercializing my life in any way or attempting to do that um, uh, to risk myself. And I uh, don't consider you know there there being a path to career success. That the work is that the work that, that you make for a community and the way you listen back and the way you keep expanding the possibilities inside of that is a, is the job, and that's the goal. Um, and this award, I sort of just pretended validated that. I don't know if it actually did, but it, it validated it for me because I am not. I don't have you know. It's not tied to necessarily a critical success or commercial success or a, or a name value. You know, uh, it's about the work that we, what we've been doing. And um, I'm kind of sort of so tied to the c- company that I uh, artistic direct that I don't see them quite differently, me and, and that. So I thought it was a validation of that, and it and it just made me kind of just have a little moment of good, yeah, good. There is there, no, there, someone decided it was great that they decided to recognize uh, anything that was regional. Period. That doesn't happen in this country. There's no regional. I mean, like. She, she got awarded something because she's known in a particular region. I thought, what does that mean? I mean, you were well, you work all over it, you work all over the country. Yeah, but no, I but mean, it's just that I mean, I'm just saying that there's no right. Well, it's interesting because we were talking about that. I mean, the award is also for working in a particular, having yeah, working in a particular region, but not being known nationally. It's for the Schneider. It's for the yes. Schneider, right? <laughs> it's pretty right. much could be the, the Chandler too, um, you know, because it seemed to not be about. Uh, was not about the no. It's about the internal working. It's about the internal workings that you make and having someone, people, enough people say that's a value, right? But I think, and so that's very been very useful to me in terms of of bringing that to the board and and um, you know I haven't gotten any dates out of it or that uh, yeah. so it hasn't really that didn't work out. So that um, and but I think you know, it doesn't really it doesn't make me a better director, but it does make me aware of the fact once you get honored. Something like that, you do realize that you actually have to live up to it. Yeah, you know, I'd rather just you know, I'm pretty much one of those. Once I get something, I'd rather just get out, like the George Costanza thing, like leave on the high. So, I don't particularly like the responsibility that comes with it, which is that I have to continue working. Mm-hmm. Um, but that indeed exists, and I think that's one of why the the way you've articulated the the award and who it's after, um, you know, and it's I, I don't mean to. Uh, you know she's amazing, uh, um, Zelda. But to the idea that you had to lead with her first show that she brought to Broadway as her bio—that's yeah. not even that's remotely not. close to near the top of the things that she ever did for the American Theater. And I completely get why you did it because it's, it's because no. it's in the bio that I do. I get it. I completely get it. And, and, I, and I'm just saying that it's all intrinsic work that she did. She did internal work. She did structural work within communities. Yeah, and but there's something interesting about that for me because um, the fact that that um, that is important because I mean part of the thing that I'm sort of interested in is getting the the work that I do. To larger audiences, and yes, this happened to be going from arena to Broadway. But you know, there's a there's it's about getting the work to a larger um, audience of people, and that's interesting to me. Yeah, that's great. As an organizational leader, I'm really not interested in that. You're not, yeah. Well, and what is interesting, uh, and I did this is a a bio that I cut and pasted and put in here. But if you spoke with Zelda, she would be with you, John. Which is that the move of Great White Hope from arena to Broadway is actually not on the top of her list. And, in fact, it was challenging for the company because what she did was very locally based and that it, that it was about a trajectory that took folks away from that home that she was creating was actually a, a challenging moment for the company. Oh, sure. So 
And I think the, the courage and bravery I know that SDCF has tried to articulate is that it does take a kind of courage and bravery in this world that is flat to commit to a community and do this work because it's much easier to see over the next mountain to some next place. And so this award that we created was specifically to encourage you to carry on there. So that was what was great about it. So, but let's go back to the beginning now and tell me about what led you to theater and then subsequently to directing. You, you, go, you go first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> on this one. I went on last, so then you get to go. Yeah, but we I'm going to leave with our little thing. Yeah, yeah is that all right? I read, was reading an um, interview with uh, uh, Annie for a uh, production of Becky Shaw that she did, and um, uh, they asked some question, and I, I don't know how it, uh, it was phrased, but the answer was that she, you know, she started her first impulse and her first dream was to be a musical theater star. And I was like, oh, my God, me too. That was totally what I wanted. And, you know, we have completely different careers. You know, her theater, the theaters she work at usually have, you know, you know, numbers like 13 attached to them or clubbed <laughs> or rap. So a really cool name. Mine's are always like conservatory or center or repertory. Um, and so we have a completely different place, but we came from the same place, which is musical theater. And then I read later on in the interview about about sort of being able to, how we rehearse, how she rehearsed. And it was like, oh my God, that's exactly how I do it. And I thought, God, there must be some connection between the, the, however different our paths have been, that the similarity of why we love musical theater, which is how I got into it. I sang and danced my little heart out in in high school because I couldn't get into anything, any sports. I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't make any sports. I knocked on the door of the theater and they're like, (laughs) <laughs> freaks no yeah, come on in <laughs> and i went in you know because there's always room for people in the theater there's never i've never seen anyone turned away guys for guys yeah. and at that point yeah. straight guys i was like man that was golden <laughs> um and uh you know it was all through acting and musical theater and then and then later on someone and very important said to me in college after seeing a show that i had acted in said to me i think you're a director <laughs> and I never looked back. But can I just ask, wait, ask one what? question about that? I didn't. I didn't ask this in the cafe. But what? what do you think she saw in your acting? Do you have any? You know what I mean? Or I know exactly like, what it was. Oh, what, what it was, was a it? really nice way of saying that you are not an actor, but you are an actor in. You're not an actor in the way that a director is not an actor. In that I was monitoring my performance. She saw it was like you, you're. I could see you monitor your performance uh-huh. in every move. And she said that. She said that explicitly. Well, after uh, a couple years right. uh, later, when I asked her that question, because um, she played it so well right. at the time. But then yeah. I figured it out that I looked back and I went, oh, I monitored my, my work. So she wasn't saying, that's not working for you. Try this. Right. She said, this is actually where you belong. Right, right, right. That's, that's, so that's, that's so what that was. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I, I would had- always be doing that. Be like... Get a little louder. Get a little. Turn a little bit. That's this so way. That's how I act. That's so amazing. Yeah. I feel like there's actually a style that you could you could of acting that you could actually create and impose upon the American theater. That you kind should of, see my work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oddly, as a director, when I go up and act, you know, when I because I sometimes just do something. You know, make this, and they go, God, you're amazing. You're so good. And my, what, my, my, you should act. And it was one my friend Andy Murray who makes fun of me. For so the win- winning the Chandler, so the Chandler Award winner is saying this. He said, "You're unburdened by psychology as a director." 
that you don't, you're unburdened by the psychological moves that you have to make to make that work. You just do it. And then once you're in the role of the actor, you have to figure out why you're doing it. That's right. And not so, all actors um, like that, you know, not, take, not taking them through the sort of psychological hoops to oh, get to that. But you place. have to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. To be no, able to I take absolutely them through agree. the psychological hoops, and you agree. also have to be able to jump over those hoops and say, you know, you can do this without it. That's right. But I'll tell you how you can do it. Yeah. You give them both options, and then you try to push them towards the faster one. Yeah. Because they're going to get further. Right. Um, but then if you can't, you have to go through the steps, yeah. I think. Well, so interesting because I also started as an actor, you know, wanted to be a musical theater star. Um, and I was encouraged as a, you know, as a, as a youngster in grade school. Um, but that was grade school and, you know, you have to go to bigger uh, places and uh, <laughs> not even that much bigger places to realize that, you know, it's just really not for you or you're not for it. <laughs> we should put it that way, you know. <clears throat> and I um, acted a lot in college. But I, I kept getting uh, cast as men. Um, and, uh, you know, this is what I'm saying, because there's a, there's a dearth of men in, in you know, theater departments uh, all around. You know, everyone's looking for the, what's the ten-woman play that we could do, yeah. you know? Um, uh, so I, I realized, top, yeah, Top Girls over and over and over again. Um, so, and I don't, and you know what happened to me, actually? I wasn't even monitoring my... Uh, my performance I literally I remember being in twelve, being in Twelfth Night uh, in undergrad and uh, and the director telling me what to do and I sort of did it and then he would talk to the other actors you know and that were in my scene they were actually like talking to me directing them in a scene with me I just checked out I just completely checked out I just I don't I was just you know I got bored I was really really bored and I think but I loved theater, and so I couldn't quite figure out, um, you know, wh- why that was. And I realized, actually, that I, um, I need a really big challenge. And not that acting is not a challenge, because it's in- incredibly, you know, challenging. I, di- I, didn't have the, uh, I, I didn't have the sort of tools uh, or interested in actually getting those tools to make, to make um, acting work for me. I just didn't have the, ta- I just didn't have the talent. But um, I needed something huge. The only thing that actually can focus me is something, uh, being in charge of something really big. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and having to be responsible for all the different moving parts. Mm. That is the thing that captures my attention. Um, and that's, so, you know, so that was sort of how I, how I came to it, um, being let me, overwhelmed. Let me ask, and it may be, Jonathan, that, that you just answered this. I'm a, there's another one. The, this idea of um, witnessing. And there's actually sort of whole schools of thought on witnessing and ritual and those kinds of things. Uh, this idea that you must be, something must be witnessed to exist. Um, but there are certain times in our development as you know children and then as pro- professionals through our lives where, where we're witnessed, where someone sees us and something opens uh, to take us some direction. Um, and I'm wondering if, if there has been a moment in your career where you could share with us, you know, a moment of being witnessed by someone who said, you can do this, or this is possible, or a little to the left, or a little to the right. Well, you can go ahead, because I just actually just told mine. Yeah, it has to be one. I'm just going to use two moments. I was thinking about this um, the other day. In seventh grade, I had a great social studies teacher named Ms. Nelson. And she, her whole approach to learning about history was uh, very sort of... um, uh, 
sort of uh, multimedia. I mean, you know, in terms of uh, doing, you know, reading the stuff, um, listening to the music, showing us, you know, it was, uh, you know, and one of the things that she did in the seventh grade is she made us each choose a decade. And then she made us, um, she put us into groups and she elected me the person to uh, write and direct um, a play about the, fift- about the 50s. Um, and and I remember just I, I remember very clearly at that moment that she looked at me and she said, "You need to be the one to do this. You have it in you to do it." And um, and so I, I felt like that. I mean, that in terms of yeah. witnessing, that was sort of astonishing um, to me. And then um, and then several years later uh, in college, I had a, my first directing professor, Michael Hackett, who I think is the head of. Uh, uh, UCLA's directing program now. Um, he was visiting artist, and he was he was teaching us directing. And he took me into his he took me into his office after the semester was over, the quarter was over, and he said and he sat me down. And he looked at me and he said, "So how does it feel uh, to be a director?" And I almost crapped my pants. I mean, I had no you know this was something that <laughs> you know didn't it just felt like such a huge mantle, weirdly, and that someone had actually you know called me a director. Um, and identified the, that thing that I was doing as directing. How does it feel to be a director? And from that moment on, I, I really, I sort of, uh, I think, kind of took that challenge on and that, and that title on. So your directors, can you talk about your early mentors? I mean, he was one. I think Michael was one. I mean, Michael... Uh, uh, well, we we talked about this a little bit, but Michael sort of crystallized uh, directing for me in a way. He said to me, or in class, he said, um, if you were to take the text away, uh, um, or or a, you know a group of deaf uh, a deaf audience were were looking at this, uh, you need to be able to stage this in a way that will be crystal clear to everyone. Um, now, of course, that's that's not all of directing because text is obviously incredibly important, and both of us work very deeply with text, but there's something that really clicked with me um, in that, that it is a sort of uh, dance that we're, that we're uh, engaged in and that we're um, responsible for writing. Um, and then I would say the other person, just briefly, is Les Waters, who was uh, my mentor at, uh, at UCSD. And the best thing he did for me was he actually engaged me as a peer, never as a teacher, Never as a professor. He literally, he would talk to me about my, my work um, as though we were both working on the same project and what are the challenges and what are the, you know, and would talk to me as an equal. And uh, that's incredibly empowering, I think, for a young director to be taken that seriously um, and to, and to uh, hear that what you have to say matters uh, and that influences, might influence the way that he looks at something. And I think that's incredibly important uh, for a mentor, you know, in, in a mentor relationship. Oh, um, you know, th- a lot of people who've been put in the position of being my mentors have been terrible. So, uh, for me, um, because I kind of bought, I said, drunk, drunk, drunk Kool-Aid. I'm a real Kool-Aid drinker. Um, uh, and I... And so I I'm just was racking my I was just running through my brain of the people who mattered to me, who made significant impact on me. And it's the membrane, the the roots of access into that are pretty varied in mine, in my life. Uh, I I got I, I worked for Joe Papp after I went to college because I got into ACT, and the, 
I realized that if I, you know, it was like the Groucho Marx, you mm-hmm. know, I didn't want to go to a club that would have me. So I went to New York and I ended up assisting Joe Papp, and he was a mentor to me for inexplicable ways, not in any form of behavior whatsoever. I mean, he was a pretty scary man. Um, but he, but his politics for theater, his sense of populism that was genuine, was the full-on real deal, you know, matched with a kind of, you know, showman's uh, kind of style and ego the size of, you know, King Lear, um, <laughs> was, um, was the fact that he was populist. You know, years later, I realized that was a mentor for me because that's how I run my theater, but I had no idea at the time. Then when I became, I said, first assistant directing job I had was Irene Lewis at Baltimore, soon to be late at Baltimore Center Stage, but... Uh, and she didn't like assistant directors, and she didn't want a mentor, and she didn't like having people around. And, and I just watched her. So I would sit in a little booth and watch her rehearse, and then slowly she let me in. And I just watched her rehearse, and she was so neurotic and weird and goofy. And kind of, I don't know if anyone knows Irene, but you know, she talked the way she talks, and she moved people around, respecting people without necessarily honoring the, the ritual so much. And I thought, well, shit, you should be yourself as a director. That's what, it's the place where you're most yourself. And the less yourself you are, the, the less the work is going to be translated into the actors, to the audience. So I think she was a huge mentor, and yet she never sat and talked to me about anything. Mm-hmm. And when I said, I found her, I got my got into Yale card, you know, letter, and I screamed, Irene, I got into Yale, and she said, oh, I knew you get it. And she just walked away. How did she know? <laughs> that was the last I heard from her, you know? Uh, and then the other one, again, not in terms of behavior as an artistic director, because it was sort of like mentoring how not to run a theater, was Richard Hamburger in Dallas, um, who, uh, who offered me my first job out of grad school. I wrote to four different theaters based on the book Theater Profiles. I don't know if anyone mm-hmm. knows what that is, but it was sort of showed like the last three seasons at any theater. And I went through and I found theaters that had really interesting directors and great designers and great programming. And I wrote four letters from the Wang computer in Yale and said... I like what you do. Would you hire me? And one of them called back and said, I'm looking for an associate artistic director, and I got hired. My God, so, that's not the norm. So completely, so like, weird. can you believe that? That is so ridiculous. It's a rags to riches. Uh, uh, so, yeah, rags to riches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, leaving New Haven for Dallas. Yeah, yeah rags to riches. Yeah, I know. I you know, spiritually, yeah. whatever. Um, Career-wise, I would uh, say. But he's always had one note that was good amongst the 700,000 notes that he would give me after every rehearsal was uh, don't make anything more interesting than life. I I did the same thing. Yeah, what does that mean? (laughs) It means that everything that you have out there in your imagination, everything that you have in your theatrical imagination exists in life somewhere. So don't try to be more interesting than that. Find what's interesting in life. And he said, there's just that. And, and he didn't, didn't, it wasn't a narrow, it wasn't like, and therefore don't do these things. He just, he just left that alone. He left that statement alone. And I interpreted it for myself. And I realized, yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I've seen such an extraordinary breadth of behavior around in my life. Around death, around, around death. He was talking about when people are dealing with death. That's extraordinary behavior. If you just watch it, why make it, why try to manufacture something different on stage? Try to find that. You know, and I was kind of amazed by that. I never really thought about that. That was cool. It was a good line. Yeah. Gems. That gems. was a, that was gems. That, I mean, they're like mentor moments. And Michael Bennett. Yeah, watching Michael Bennett's per- direction of Hello Twelve, Hello Thirteen, Hello Love in a chorus line is the most mentoring 
seven minutes of theater that I have YouTubed now 750,000 times, watched it almost every night at the Schubert Theater, and I just think it taught me everything about directing. Well, I, you know, in, in a similar way, Pina, ba- I mean, Pina Bausch's rehearsal processes were, was a very, very interesting thing to watch for me. I mean, I wasn't in there live, and she has these tapes you know, of a rehearsal process that is not actually, you, you can't actually get them, but at UCSD, this great couple, Ted and Adele Shank, for mm-hmm. some reason had the, had the sort of, you know, the gold that was, were these tapes. And, you know, of course, she's in Germany and she's um, rehearsing for, you know, 15 months or whatever and creating a piece. So it has a very, you know, the sort of, the sort of um, parameters of her, of her rehearsal process are very different than what we have here in the States, et cetera. But, um, What was interesting about uh, her is that she really, really relied on her dancers. I mean, she, and what she would do is she would set up impossible tasks for them, um, which was a huge, huge lesson for me and something that I feel like, um, I think by putting things on on their feet immediately seems like an impossible task for actors. I mean, this is something that both of us do in our rehearsal process as we get them up up on their feet pretty early, uh, actors. Um, And what she she the thing that I remember most is she at the time she had her her child was a uh, an infant, and she had her child sort of lying you know in stomach, on her forearm and the legs dangling and she just sort of walked around the room, and she said, "Can we do this with each other? You know, can you guys try doing this with each other? You know, adults trying to sort of hold one as a child you know, and to watch her and her actors and her actor dancers, um, just went for it." just went for it, just went for something that was seemingly impossible to do. Um, and there was a lot of failure in the room, and there was a lot of yucks, you know, to be had. Um, but the discovery uh, that she was able to, uh, uh, you know, generate was extraordinary. It was really extraordinary. So, uh, so and, and to rely on her company so greatly um, uh, was also extraordinary. I mean, of course, there are trained dancers, you know, there's a, but there's a lot of lessons. There was a, I took a, a great amount of, um, I, I took a great lesson from that, from watching her rehearse. I want to uh, get to talking about the craft um, and and your work, uh, but before I do that, I, I just want to talk a little bit about the context within which you work. You, you both have worked all over the country, um, in some of the most dynamic theater companies uh, that exist for us today, and I'm. Uh, wondering if you could share with us what you think works about our um, theater companies, uh, maybe what, you know, how they support a director's process, maybe what doesn't work. Uh, um, well, you've worked on both sides. I mean, the thing that I, I would say that, you know, from my, I've worked in regional theaters, not a ton of them and not in a lot of huge ones, but I've had great experience. I mean, I've had a great time working in the in regional theater and one of the, the uh, and I adore it and I'm in fact this whole season I'm working in regional theaters I'm not working at all in New York um, and the things that do work for me about that relationship um, is exactly what you're saying John uh, that there's a there's a, a specific community that you get plugged into uh, that <coughs> then you also become responsible for I mean my experience at Louisville um at, down at the Oslo uh, Rep in Florida, is that the is that the the community uh, um, is very involved in the process, um, and you are sort of responsible in a in a in a, po- in a positive sense of um, exchanging 
ideas with with the community. Um, it's also a community that's identifiable and is uh, dedicated to the theater, which is very different than uh, what I have in New York. You know, it's a very sort of telling. It's, there's you know the number of theaters in New York and the different audience member. You know, it's just it's all over the place. Um, but that there's a real uh, uh, there's a real uh, the communities I've, I've worked in, uh, again, specifically Louisville and uh, Oslo uh, in Florida, they have, they have a kind of ownership. The community has sort of an ownership of the, um, of the work, uh, and, which is good and bad, I think, but um, ultimately, I think, really rewarding. Um, uh, uh, <clears throat> And I think, you know, it's such a strange relationship. I was thinking about this between a director and an artistic director when you go into the, you know, go into the regions, or even in New York, you know, that you actually have this, um, that you're a leader, that I'm a leader as a director, but I have to, but I answer to um, uh, another person. And inevitably, I, it, it feels like I'm in school again when an artistic director comes in and sees my work. And it just feels... It's horrible, it's, isn't it's it? It's the worst. It's the worst. And I always give myself a speech beforehand, you know. That everyone, this happens to everyone, all the directors that you admire. You always hear about these nightmare stories of the artistic director coming in and, you know. And what works again um, for me is when the artistic director, someone like Blanca Ziska at um, the Wilma, who comes in as a colleague, who really, really comes in as a colleague, and who is trying to, you know, is, is, is sort of discussing with you and challenging you and not in not a... Uh, not in a um, you did it wrong way because you know I'm 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 very much a student still the sort of straight age student that thinks there's a there's a yeah there's a right way and a wrong way to do something. Um, That's my problem. Too. It's a real problem. Yeah. It's a real problem because I there is need no to be validated. Yeah, yeah, and you're just and you're you know. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, so that's. Um, so that's all. That's always a strange. Uh, that's a strange uh, relationship. The other thing that's weird about being a freelancer going into um, a regional theater is it's it's as though you're sort of traveling to a different country. I mean, the culture in in a particular regional theater, um, it's just it's always it's, it's totally different. I worked down in a, in a theater in in, uh, in D.C. and um, the artistic director and I had a huge. Um, Conversation heated, I should say, about ca- about casting and what casting was all about, and he wanted it all to be done in two sessions. And my process is that you learn. I learn about the play during um, casting. So you're actually the first few sessions for me for casting is um, learning who we need, you know, and and what and and sort of narrowing it down. Um, and I'm very used to having several casting sessions where this, you know, and DC is a very totally different culture because. They need to cast because there, there's a there's a fixed amount of um, you know there's there's a whole all the theaters cast in the spring before the the following year so because there's a limited amount of actors and there's this many theaters so that everyone's racing to get all the you know all the actors at the at the end of the former season so before I've even had a chance to really sit down with a play um, so it's a completely different process and so um, as a freelance director you really have to go in and sort of be an sort of weird and you know you have to be an ambassador and you have to be a student all the time you have to be uh, you know you're an American in France all the time, you know, trying to find, you know, what the, what the currency is and what the, um, 
So it's so it's it's odd. And the thing that I find this is a long way of saying, Laura. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the challenges for me in a, in a regional theater is figuring out. You know, you get a lot of. Um, well, this is the way we do things. This is the way we've done things forever, and this is the way we will do things far into the future, and this is, you know. Um, and sometimes I don't know really how to respond to that because I have been asked to come in, um, I mean, based on my, based on who I am, yeah. you know, uh, based on what I do, and, um, and I'm being asked to sort of conform to, you know, a certain process that is that feels very foreign and very and give me some time to learn about this before I actually then I can actually create in it. So that's a that's a very that's that can be a kind of difficult. Different theaters have different jargons, yeah. their rules. Yeah, and, and and you know it's amazing going into these regional theaters where people, I mean the turnover in New York for a staff it's like every five years, you know. I, I work at these theaters where, oh, so-and-so, the, you know, the production manager has been for, here for 40 years, you know. <laughs> and it's really, it's, it's, it's amazing. But it's also, it can be kind of stultifying. And it can be kind of um, hard to kind of do what you need to do um, when there's that much um, uh, structure, you know, structure mm-hmm. that's sort of been getting deeper and deeper and deeper over the years. So that doesn't happen at Cal, Cal Shakes. No, not at all. No one's over 40 years old who works there, uh, except me. Um, Well, I don't don't know how to kind of answer it in a similar way that Annie, but uh, the best experience I've ever had, I'm doing a bunch of shows right now at big theaters, doing a show at ACT and the Alley and Ashland. And... Big shows too, like big projects at big theaters, and that's kind of cool on like one level. But it's interesting because I still no one has compared to the Goodspeed Opera House for me, which sounds so ironic on some level because you know they do um, sometimes revival of musicals. But I tell you, Sue Frost, the way she ran that theater for Michael, and how Michael responded to the way she did it was the most artistic enabling organization I've ever been in my life. Mm. It's a machine. And it's a machine that they have designed to work within a very short amount of time. And so their responsiveness to you is immediate and palpable. You have two days to tech a show. You say, oh, this whole thing is completely wrong. You literally turn around on a 10-minute break. The entire crew is there and they've fixed it. I'm talking not stage ops crew. The tech, the, the the scenic crew has come, and they're repainting over dinner, and it's done. And you're like instantaneous, like responsiveness. You have a problem, you go over into the, t- the shop and you look at that and go, "Can we lop off three feet?" And they just go, "Boom!" Like that. <laughs> what do you think? Great. They're like, it's about product, and it was absolutely the most art- artistically satisfying theater to work in. Hmm. Absolutely. Every theater that I've worked in where they talk about process endlessly, it's like, can you just tell me how many actors I have? Can you tell me how quickly we can turn this around? When do you need to know this by? Give me these facts. Because there's this strange, and the more, the bigger they get and the closer to New York they get, in my opinion, working at the Huntington, lovely theater, 
I tell you, it was on a pro- project that they hoped to bring to New York. And it was like the closer I got, I was like, the stuff, it's like, well, just tell me, are you trying to get it to New York? Is this a regional thing? Just give me the clear point. Because it'd be like, it's all about the odd. It's all about the process. And then you'd walk away and go, I think I'm getting fired. <laughs> you just That's how I would do it. I would look at them. Yeah. They'd say something. And I'd turn around and I thought, oh, that's it for me. I better check in with my agent. Do you know? And I thought, what a strange! It was just strange, you know, that the more palpable a theater is to as an, as a visiting artist about and genuine and authentic and straightforward about its own capacity and its own, then your relationship to it becomes vital and exciting and real. And your context, your imaginative context, um, your imaginative journey has been contextualized and there, and, and and therefore released. And I find the opposite journey of like, how do we make this an artist theater and the larger place is a lot of baloney. Is a lot of baloney. Well, there is a lot Did of I, lack I, uh, of efficiency, and you know, a lack and it of efficiency makes it harder for you to actually know what what you're. It is. It's true, and I I tend to think. I mean, on my uh, my own, this is my theory: is that there's a low self esteem. Really, this is podcasting. Like seriously, do we have time to edit it? Because I'm like making fun of like theater. Like, it's like, no, because it's important. I'm very grateful for the work that I've been doing. <laughs> this is not... You know what I'm saying? This is no, it this for is, me. No, the no, no, no. This is... You, I, yeah, you run a you're theater. You, you're, you're totally safe. <laughs> you, you, you know. Um, oh, that it was so... <laughs> See how naive I am? Oh, how naive. <laughs> I'm like a child in the... Uh, um, but there is a. I think that that's true. That there is a lack of. There's a lack of efficiency in in the theater, and it sounds like Goodspeed has it down to you know. Um, and I think that there's some sort of low self esteem that is sort of in conjunction with that. That we don't. You know that we're a dying. We're a dying um, art form, and that we're not as uh, you know cool as TV or film. And you know, there's a lot of like we really really want to do this, but we really you know this the desire sort of out. Um, out, uh, you know, overreaches the capacity right. um, oftentimes. And it sets you, and it actually sets you up. It, it does, it, it really as does. A, as a, on the as flip a side, artist. yeah, on the flip side of that, I mean, you know, the reason why I also really love to work with smaller theaters um, is that they're, they're, they're able to be nimbler than, right. than larger theaters. So, um, so they're able to really craft a process based on the needs of the artists. And, I know you don't mean that that's, you know, that's fooey baloney or whatever that, you know, that's actually really important to me because the kind of work that I like to do might require a different kind of um, approach than a three-week, you know, this whole, this sort of like three, three weeks and then a week of tech and then you're up. You know, I don't even begin to understand what the play's about in that period of time. And that, I do think that that's a very limiting, very limiting um, you know, uh, structure for, for, for some, for some work. And these smaller theaters are able to, um, really sort of, they're not, they're not accountable to any big, you know, I mean, they're accountable to some funders, Mm -hmm. of course, but they don't, they're not accountable to subscribers. They're not, they're not accountable. they're, They're not, um, they don't have to sort of, um, uh, you know, create a machine that will just continue to go forward and go forward and go forward. You know, yeah. the fully baloney point was yeah. was not about that statement. It's about you know when you're when you're talking about a small company, um, it's so clear what the what the boundaries are and what the, the resources uh-huh. are, which are nothing. Right. Exactly. That it's like you're all clear right. about the context. That's right. So the journey becomes sort of like based on that. Right. And I think in theaters, you know, we strive to be really brave. You know, and are 
brave and courageous, <laughs> I think, is the two words that I'm supposed to be as if the Chandler woman <laughs> is, is, and yet you're wracked with fear and, and doubt and concerns. And we try to protect the artist from that, and they invariably come out. And they become out in a relationship, mm-hmm. and it sets up actually not a very healthy artistic relationship. And I think the organizations have been have have no self have have like you're right have a little self esteem issue about no. sort of saying we're artistic entities. You know, we have fears and ambitions and and pan. You know, and so we're going to engage with you as opposed to we're going to be a safe home to nurture artistic. And you know, I I write grants. I know what the terms are. I'm a safe house for nurturing artistic creation and progression of the. Form, yeah, I know how to say that, but at the same time, I'm not a safe house. I'm not like mm. I'm a I'm a I'm a organism in the in the universe. I'm just as unsafe as any place else. Why would you expect the the people who make the theater happen for you to be any more stable than you are? <laughs> why would you expect that? Why do artists Why do artists think that? It's because we because we enable it, that conversation. We infantilize them and we, we, we make them more important and infantilize them at the same time. In the same way that TCG does that to theaters and Mellon does that to theaters or fun, that funders do that to theaters. You know, that we identify a role that we think is beneficial to the other, but in fact it actually dis- makes it, it disables the equal partnership in making more happen. <laughs> Wow. That was good. That was good. I'm out, George Costanza. I'm out. See you later. Um, Annie, you've you've thrown your uh, name in the hat rather creatively um, for uh, artistic leadership. (laughs) um, No, no, no. I mean, I think think what these these artistic director jobs are is, is, is... necessarily evolving and should actually, I mean, some of us believe, be, be more open maybe than the, the conversation always is. But do you want to talk about your aspiration, whether you, that's something you want to do? Do you want to talk her out of it, John? Well, no, I think this is actually a good conversation to have with you. But, I mean, um, I'll tell you something. You, from a, on a day-to-day basis, I change my mind about whether or not I want to be an artistic director. Um, I used to work at Classic Stage Company back when David S. Bjornsson was the head of it in the early 90s. Um, and this was his first artistic directorship. He, was a, he is a director um, and has, taken, you know, has been an artistic director uh, subsequent to that. Um, and I really felt like I was watching, like I, I just, I saw things too young or something like that. That I saw the horrors of, um, you know, of someone who is a working director also try to be at the head of a, of a, of a theater. Um, I, before that, I definitely thought I'm going to be an artistic director. Um, uh, and so I was, I was, I was off, I was put off of it for quite a while. Um, and then in the, in the recent, in my recent history, uh, I actually applied twice to two different uh, theaters um, with a co-artistic director, with uh, a, a director named Ken Rushmall. Um, and uh, uh, I was interested in that collaboration. I mean, I was interested in that collaboration, uh, the idea of two directors heading up a, a theater. Now... Uh, you know there are there is precedence for that, um, and not and largely I think probably not completely successful. Um, uh, there have been you know Portland's stage up in Maine had uh, two uh, designers who were right, but that didn't last for very long. Anita ended up taking it, it was Anita Stewart and uh, Chris Ackerman. Chris Ackerman, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
It's a very interesting model to me that, um, given my you know naivete in the world of uh, of actually leading a theater, uh, has led me to believe that it, it could be at some point successful. We obviously have not been successful in getting those artistic directorships, um, but I feel like you know. Uh, um, I I feel like freelance directing on, on on the day when I'm interested in doing artist being an artistic director, I think of freelance directing as sort of renting rather than owning, sort of you know expending your energy kind of willy nilly out there. And I'm building yes, I'm building my career, I'm building my resume, I'm building relationships with various people, but I'm not sort of sinking my energy into. Um, Something that actually could, you know, you could kind of water and grow and see sprout children. You know what I mean? All that, you know, I don't know, sprout children. Um, <laughs> sure, but, you know, you have, yeah. I mean, you know, you have something that you're actually building, and that's that's very interesting to me. And it's also very interesting to me to to be um, a leader in a community um, because I think artistic directors, in especially in re the regional theater, um, they are they are community leaders. And that, and, and there's, and there's, there seems to be much um, more evidence of a direct impact on a community uh, in a regional, you know, in a regional theater um, than there is, you know, in, in New York necessarily. Uh, so that all appeals to me. Um, what's terrifying to me is being an artistic director, and you know what what an artistic director is responsible for, and the sort of knowledge that you have to have um, overall, and the fundraising is a huge, uh, you know. Uh, issue and especially in, in, in our economy now, um, but that's you know it's always I mean I, I've never you know when has it been a golden era for the theater uh, when has it been you know well the money's just you know being thrown at us what do we do with all this money you know uh, <laughs> so, I can actually remember um, actually there was a time yeah but how long was it and, and what when was it and when was it well I would in I mean in my lifetime yeah it was I would say the early to mid and petering out depending on who the artist the theater was 80s 80s right uh, mm -hmm. but it went into the early 90s in some respects but certainly I'd say for some of our flagships had a flagships a had a longer run like had a run but how long did it but how long did it last no, it's, it's, I mean it you know well it depended on the people too yeah of course but you know and it's also the times I mean there's partly those people ran out of their they ran out of their their time like well, Lamos ran true. out of his time at Hartford Garland Wright ran out of his time at, at, at Guthrie. They ran out of time. That was it. And mm -hmm. theaters are sort of weird that way. Do they're you mean that the actual institutions run out, or like they that the that, that the institution is done with the, the leader? The value adding that that to use that crappy word. It seems to, it, the value that 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 artistic leader created no longer mattered to the. Community. Well, I think that's that's really and, and that's and a I hard think, thing to take. And I think what right now we're we're being asked to as artistic directors to you know if you ever go for a job as an artistic director, they'll list in the search thing they'll list like the top the ten things they're looking for, and invariably the joke for me it's like the tenth one is. It's our excellence as yeah. a director. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like great with fundraising, extraordinary with people, uh, a visionary with strategic capacity, uh, a community citizen, someone with a deep belief in the arts education, an ability to work with others, a healthy respect for the collaborative partnership with the thing, and a great director. You're like, what are you paying for this? Like, is there what? Is that like a $10 million job? Because I might go for that. That's like impossible. Yeah. The, 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 value, the things that they expect from us now, that we let them 
expect from us yeah. is part of the problem. I mean, I'm at TCC conference. People are like, "Well, this is the role of the artistic." It's like, Who do, "Where's this book?" Yeah. You know, and there's like someone like I read those. It's like I'm a director. I'm a director. I'm an artistic director. I'm not doing the other stuff. She got fired. She got fired just last month. With that belief, it's not a pretty time to be an artistic director. I believe. That said, I'm not giving up on it, and I'm going to continue to do it until I. And that's why I'm not moving to a bigger theater. I love my size and location. I like doing what I'm doing. I have a theater that's outdoors. So I've just turned that into the metaphor for the theater. Theater, is, to me, is not a place where you make plays. It's like what you do to build constituencies around the creation of, the, of theater. That's what it is. You can do that in so many ways. And I, you can't do that at a bigger theater. And you don't have the capacity in a smaller theater. And you don't have the nimbleness in a bigger theater. I'm in the right place. And I'm in the Bay Area where I speak a language. And they go, I understand you. Where I've been in other places, like I directed at Laura's former mm-hmm. theater, and it was like being in Norway, you know, up in <laughs> Seattle, where they, you know, I did a comedy, and they, I would hear no response, and then they'd leave and say, That was the funniest thing I ever heard. Like, where were you, what were you doing? How do you guys laugh here in Seattle? I don't understand. I was like crying. This isn't funny. And they're like, That was so funny. Yeah. Well, I don't understand. Who are you? I went home crying every, every night. Um, it was well, lovely theater, what, what you but, say you know. sort of about the, the time horizon, I think it's in some ways the, the, the rhythm of the evolution of different leadership, I, I think we've we gone from the founders and we haven't quite figured out how, how artistic directors are going to come and go. The mission of these organizations is held by something larger than a single individual. It's held by a board. It's held by a community. And the artistic directors become someone who can manifest that vision, who can actually have have something that art that they make that supports that. But they're going to come and go probably in a different way. Um, I I mean, you may be there forever, John, but I think... But do you want to be there forever? No, I just think uh, when I leave, it'll be that'll be it for me in theater. That I that I'll, I'll involve myself as a community leader, but in a different way. You know, that, I mean, I say that yeah. now, but I, I don't want to run another theater. I don't want to do it. I'd and you wouldn't, and you wouldn't go back yeah. to a freelance career. No, I'd rather be like a politician or a, a teach. Well, there are some who say that once you found that once you found that sweet that sweet spot, these these successful artistic leadership experiences, or even the partnerships in running these places, that can that be recreated in another community at another time, or is it just about that moment? Oh, I'm sure it can. For me, it's so intrinsic, it's mm-hmm. so connected mm-hmm. that I don't I don't I I I don't need to replicate it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to replicate it. There's so much work I could do at Cal Shakes for the rest of my life if I want to stay there. I could come up with new partnerships mm-hmm. and new modes of thinking about how to do that. There's so many opportunities mm-hmm. in a singular environment that is fruitful. And for me, that I, I don't... But it's just whether I feel like I have the power. You know, I have the stamina. I'm getting old. I mean, I feel much older. When I first took this job, I was really thin and hair. I mean, I was... <laughs> no, I know it sounds comical but it's true and it's a it, there's a I give a hundred percent to that place and all the time and that's a lot that's a lot I can't and I and, I, and I'm getting all this freelance work now and I don't see them they don't work together you can't I can't run it you can't run a mid-sized theater that has a greater that wants to keep re- questioning assumptions 
and have a big freelance career. It's not possible for him. Not that kind of person. So I got to give one of them up, and I got to. I'm going to focus on. I got to focus on the community. So after this run of big shows that I got, which is awesome, I got to. I got to just drop off. I got to drop mm-hmm. off that that face. Yeah. For, again, I can't do both. I can only do one thing really, really well, and I'd rather do something really, really well than have a kind of imagined career. It just doesn't work for me. I wish I could, but I can't. Well, that's the, for me at this. You know, today's the day that I don't want to be an artistic director. Um, Especially, yeah. and, <laughs> well, no, 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 I, I, no. I kill that. No, I kill you, that. no, you know. I mean, I, I feel like it's you know, it's killed on you know daily basis. Daily basis, <laughs> but because I actually am quite um, interested in sort of you know travel. I'm interested in traveling. You know, uh, I'm interested in going to these foreign countries. You know. Like Which literally is, foreign countries, or are you using this? Well, I'm using I'm, uh, both literally and and you know metaphorically. Yes, oh, okay. I actually love going to the. Re- I love going into these. Uh, Annie's going to Norway. No, <laughs> no I'm not. That would be Intamon. I'm Norway. going to. Oh yeah, I'm going, I'm going to Intamon next year. But um, mm-hmm. I sort of love this. You know, a little bit of the globe trotting. It's ve- it's very invigorating to me right sure. now. Um, and when I get exhausted, you know. But there's, you know. We, we want, uh, grass is always greener, right? But right now, I feel like I, I sort of like my lifestyle as a. I mean, it's it's it's, it's almost impossible to um, sustain uh, financially and you know emotionally and relationship-wise and all that kind of thing. I but can um, but uh, but for me, it's very exciting. I love living in different cities and checking them can out. You talk and, about big game hunting or hunting big game. Oh. <laughs> well, this is actually uh, just in terms of right the kind of work I yeah. think and the kind of. So we were we were talking about um, uh, the uh, you know what kind of work do you pursue and what is and, and how do you pursue it and in the rehearsal mm-hmm. room and what you're sort of interested in and there's a term that um, a couple of friends of mine and I sort of uh, uh, talk about a lot. It's called uh, hunting big game. Um, and you know, it's uh, on a very crude, sort of basic level. It's um, it's what you do. You know, it's the opposite of being a hack director, <laughs> uh, where you sort of go in, you're, you know, sort of know the mechanics of this play, and you're like, oh, you know, uh, you, you, we know how to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. It's a machine, this play, or you know, I know how to sort of work the audience in a certain way, and um, <clears throat> which are all important things, but. Um, I think the, what we what we talk about um, in terms of hunting big game uh, is that you're never satisfied, that nothing's ever good enough, that the projects that you pursue are bigger than you, that they're sort of not necessarily bite-sized, or if they are um, bite-sized and you love them, um, there's a way of actually enriching, you know, sort of, that you're always, um, you're, you're always working to expand the work uh, rather than reduce the work. Um, and it's interesting, I, I know we're talking about, we're going to be talking about Shakespeare eventually, but... Um, uh, the thing that's so am- amazing about Shakespeare is that, um, uh, uh, you know, is that you can't. Uh, that is, you, you can actually approach. You can actually approach Shakespeare, and I've seen it, not hunting big game, and that's a huge shame because, any, you know, um, Shakespeare's the greatest, uh, you know, playwright to actually hunt big game with because you, you can. There's you can ex- infinitely expand that uh, expand that text, you know. Um, but you can also do it on and the work that I do mostly again is contemporary work and you're looking for the the ideas you know a lot of times I'm I'm working on world premieres of, of plays and uh, it's very important to me that that what I put up on stage is something that the playwright is um, the playwright has in his or her mind but I'm also hired to continue to um, 
uh, expand that vision uh, and challenge that vision um, and uh, never rest on, you know, on this is good enough, we'll move on. Um, I was telling Laura and I think also John that uh, I'm a terrible prioritizer um, when I'm doing You're my terrible own work. at prioritizing. Yes. No, you're not terrible. I'm a terrible prioritizer. I'm a terrible at prioritizing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, I was trying to figure out whether you were like, yeah. I, I, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm terrible at, because I, I think everything is important. You know, everything is important when I'm looking at my own work. I, every, You know, this little moment that, that someone might say, oh, it's fine. It's good enough. Go on. Or like, it's not working, but it's just one moment in, a, you know, in 360,000 moments. Um, and I can't let go of it. Um, I can't let go of that, and it's it's important to me. And, and you know, and it, on that level, if I'm talking about actually watching my work and not and making sure that I keep working at you know, the what's actually up on stage, I I don't know about you, but I um, watching my own work is uh, incredibly painful, incredibly painful after a show. Oh, I cannot. It's um, it kills me. Yeah, I don't even go. Yeah, you can't. I right. don't even go. No, I pretend I do. Right. I tell them it's really good. I check them with the stage manager. Go, you know, in case someone fell down yeah. or farted or something <laughs> right. or threw up on stage, yeah. just to right. make sure and tell them how good they were. Yeah, I no, it's really. Um, it's it's and, and so in order to minimize the pain that I feel, um, I have to go after every moment and make sure that it's the fullest thing. You know, and I'm not always successful. I mean, this is uh, this is to say that you know, certainly my productions are far from perfect, far from perfect. Um, but if I don't give it a try, and if I don't try to, uh, I love that. you know, it's um, you're the kind of person you used to work at my. Okay. Yeah. I always want yeah, this. This whole thing has been set up. But Laura has actually set this whole thing up so that I can actually be hired. I love you. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I this is my job. This is my job hunting. <laughs> panel. Hey, listen, I was on. I was on the panel two years ago to to to, to pick the Alan Schneider Award winner, and three hours after we picked him that day, I called him on the phone and asked him directly. Theater next season, right? Well, wow, that's great. So Who yeah, is that person, Joel Sass. Oh, Joel Sass. Yeah, so yeah, totally. It's how you yeah. do it. Um, but so, uh, let's do, the, let's I, do I, talk I, about. I have the same thing about the. the, the I mean, I, I my, my bec- I for some reason I I cannot account for this because I can't see this. I don't go after work because I'm it's too lazy. But I got everything that I get offered is like a big. Either classical or faux classical, like I'm doing Amadeus, um, which is faux classical. Uh, not a musical, right? Because I always think that thing's a musical, but it's not. Amadeus? Yeah. Who does? I always think it's a musical. I thought it was the movie. I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And then it's not the movie. It's not. It's a play. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I, no, I'm totally serious. Yeah, I believe you. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, I always get big game to hunt. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the theater that I direct. I have no idea, but it's cool and it's great. It's a little, sometimes a little daunting. Sometimes you know. Uh, but you don't have to direct it as though it's big game. That's right. That's, that's the, the oh, I, yeah. That's but I don't think I can't. Exactly. I can't. I mean, yeah, but I'm just like exactly her. Right. I sit there. There could be something completely like a huge event over here mm-hmm. that's completely wrong with the scene, and this little moment right here, this slice of moment, I'll be like, okay, so he says to folk, I gotta get. If I don't get that thing figured out, I cannot look at this. Yeah. And I'm completely that they're all kind of unlock. They unlock uh, everything. Unlock something else. Right. Well, and I have to for say me, that, that you know, yeah. you know, and so they're all in. And also, what does it mean? The assumptions. I mean, this is what I say to my my you know my student directors or whatever, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that we make when we go into directing, well, it's like what you said, you know, directing Shakespeare and actors will assume something or, 
or um, one of the ex- an exercise that I have my students do, or I used to have my students do, um, is to actually write down everything that actually happens in a play. Do not have any attitude. Actually, the, what the, the playwright actually wrote down, because we will judge things. You know, as directors uh, and as people working on a play, you will go into a play and you will say, "Oh, this person's bad, or this person's good, or this, or the, you know, they're obviously in love, or this is, you know." Right. And the fact of the matter, if you've just really stepped step back and look at what the playwright has written, like the events, the actual sort of like. She crosses over there and she says that, or, you know, whatever. She doesn't even cross over, but whatever. She says that to him. But that could mean mm-hmm. five, to, you know. But we, we're so quick to assume, we're so quick to assume that this is what this is. Um, and I think that's part of the big, the big, hunting big game, is that you're not actually satisfied with the first thing that came to you, the, the, the first obvious thing. That you're actually, um, you're actually, uh, you know, you're an archaeologist, and you're gonna, you know, and because there's really no, I mean, there's really no point. I mean, there's no. We don't need to have more plays. We don't need to do much ado about nothing again. I yeah. Like I don't. There's not. There's not like this. If we don't have another production of Much Ado About Nothing, society will not continue. That 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 syllogism, whatever, don't, yeah. that, that proposition doesn't hold up. So if you're going in, there's no point in just putting it up. There's no value in it. There's nothing. Because you're not getting paid. If I got paid a million dollars, yeah, maybe I might hack it up left and right. I'd be sure. But there's no, there's nothing, there's no value to it. So if you're not excavating and sort of trying to figure out in some way, everyone excavates in a different way. Some Mm -hmm. people use it to excavate the form. Some people pull it away to get to say, you know, there's different what roots and different meanings of what that is depending on the artistic exploration. But if there's, if you're not doing that, there's no point because it's not cancer research. So that we've got to be doing something that makes people, ourselves, if we don't think differently, then why would you hope an audience would? I mean, yeah. how could they, how can you expect the world to think differently if you don't think differently about your work? And There's no, you can't well, make it uh, any other way. I think that's true. So you can't it, make those claims. You can't make no, those you claims. Can't. And you yeah. can't say, I want this in the theater and then not, and then not mm-hmm. think, try to right. think that way for yourself. Yeah. So I think that's the only way to go about it. I don't think there's any two ways to think about it. Yeah, Could now I think it's true. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to ask this Shakespeare question because um, w- one of the things that is pretty fascinating here is that um, you may or may not know that John was hired to be the artistic director of Cal Shakes, having never directed a Shakespeare, which is kind of fascinating. And uh, Annie has recently done her first Shakespeare, and so just uh, to take a moment or two to talk about what that what that right of that that I mean heavy you know it's like. So that yeah, that means right something. What does that What does that mean? What is that rite of passage? What is that? And how does that? The, so what rite of passage? The the Shakespeare passage. It's so interesting because you know I remember being in I don't know maybe high school or I don't rem- I don't remember but I remember thinking I was young younger than I'm now. I wish that Shakespeare had never been born because it's such a huge you know it just feels so daunting and I don't understand what the you know freak the everything you know what's going on and stay and I just feel like you know I just felt so burdened by it you know and um and my first I, I, you know it's so interesting it's a rite of passage because I do remember thinking I can't believe I'm a director and I've never directed Shakespeare but there are actually quite a few directors who have never directed Shakespeare I don't know if that you know if there's an actual rite of passage anymore but I definitely knew I wanted to do um, you know, do it. And the first way I got into I got into it and, and sort of love, started loving Shakespeare was as an actor um, and learning, 
you know, what the, you know, how to actually speak the language and how coded the language, I mean, how sort of coded, physically coded the language is in terms of the sounds that you're, you know, this is everything we all know, the the sounds that you make, the sounds that he makes you make, you know, is have an emotional corollary and, you know, and and the sort of genius of breaking that down. It just felt really, really daunting to me. Um, And my first show was uh, Winter's Tale at Chautauqua. Um, and I was so grateful because they were all students. They weren't, um, you know, so, that, so they were actually all learning um, learning about Shakespeare at the time that I was working with them. And the thing that was kind of amazing also, and I, I felt like this is a, a very Shakespearean <laughs> sort of experience, is that it wasn't just myself and the actors. It was myself and the actors and a voice coach and a, di- you know, and a, and a this coach and a text mm-hmm. coach. And, a th- and it, was t- it took a village. I mean, it was like a village, you know? And I was sort of terrified by the whole thing because I thought, I really need to know. And I really, sh- I, I, you do need to know something about, you know, what you're, what you're doing. Um, but having this sort of, for me, the collaborative experience um, with all of these different experts on it was really, really uh, rewarding. And the students, I mean, they must have thought, one of my, one of my sort of, um, uh, you know, tenets as a director is to sort of walk into the room semi-stupid. Um, I think it's important. It's, it goes along with this sort of assumption thing that you actually, I know this much more than the actors do, you know. And I did that on Shakespeare, and I was, like, buried practically because they, I mean, they knew much more than I did because they were in the middle of the, you know, they were in the middle of the process. Um, but the thing, um, so, so the thing about the Winter's Tale was it was incredibly, it was so great to have finally said, I, you know, I did this, and I sort of did it okay. I did it pretty well. Um, but the thing that was so magnificent about him is that there are about, in each play, there are probably 20 different, texts, meaning, for me, meaning you actually have to sort of choose your own adventure inside of a Shakespeare, because he'll have a word that means five different things, and depending on what you decide that word means, there's a direction that you can go in for the production. Mm -hmm. And then if you decide the word means something else, then you, and the man has, and he's given you, um, you know, connectors. If, if you decide that this word means that, then you have the connectors to all of the different the different paths in there. That it'll flesh it out. It'll flesh itself out. Um, so I found it incredibly uh, daunting. And what was the story? And I didn't feel like I had enough time. You know, it's something that you that I would like to spend do a Pina Bausch year and a half on to ch- you know to work on a Shakespeare um, play. It feels that that's big game hunting, and it also feels like. It's a kind of it's, it, his is the kind of text that you can actually write your own play. I mean, you can write your play in it, and I don't mean oh now um, let's place you know Troilus and Cressida and you know the Iraq War or something like that. For me, those kinds of things reduce Shakespeare. I, I feel you know I feel like doing it sort of doing something a contempor- you know sort of putting it in a contemporary world uh, specifically in a very specific political situation actually reduces uh, Shakespeare because he's much bigger than any po- one political um, moment in history. Um, so you're totally right about everything you just said about Shakespeare. Except no, mm-hmm. and they're also really disposable. Mm-hmm. That's the great. That's the most freeing thing. Uh, yeah, do it in three and a half weeks. Take a shot at it. Right. Move on. Do another one. They're big and daunting and wonderful, but they just they're just plays, just like anything else. So like you're gonna make huge freaking mistakes. You're only gonna get one track right. You're gonna get a couple of depths and layers. You're gonna make huge constant, and then it'll be over, and it'll be kind of fun. 
And so I used I I I have been terrified about Shakespeare ever since I started doing it. Uh, uh, and it never goes away, the terror. But this last time I did it, I was so terrified of Much Do About Nothing. I was like, what the fuck? Who cares? Oh, my God. It's a play called Much Do About Nothing. It's like, <laughs> it's telling you there's nothing going on. And then it's like, no, it's the vagina. And you're like, God, that's not interesting to me either. But um, uh, To you. To me. <laughs> Again, more about me. But um, And then you just realize, yeah, actually... There's a hundred ways to do it. A hundred thousand ways to do it. Yeah, set it in the class. Set it in a classroom. Set it in the Iraq, Iraq War. Go for it. It's disposable. It's going to come back in a year or so. Someone else's. There's fifty other productions they handle down the street. Yeah, but you Fun. want yours yeah, to but, be there. Uh, no, but it actually, it's great. It's wonderful. You think you're? Do you ever expect to walk into a room and see the great production of Hamlet? Ain't going to happen ever. So let's enjoy the fact that everyone gets to take. To do it. Everyone gets to do a Hamlet. Yes, yeah, fine, great. I talk to audience members all the time about that. Why did you watch it? Guys, it's cool. You didn't like it. Don't worry, we'll be doing the show in a couple of years. <laughs> you know, and there's other people will be doing it. You just see like other 55 other. One of them might hit you, but I can't claim to hit that right. I mean, so I, I think the great thing about Shakespeare is exactly what you're saying. Right. But the flip side to that, once you yeah. get through that, it's almost like the looking glass. You know, once you get into that, you kind of go, oh, it's all backwards. It's nothing. It's right. just words. You know? Yeah, but and words that I don't understand But I mean, that's what's great about it. It's just a different kind of puzzle. But it actually does, but it, it, we get to, we get to, demo, we get to own. Right. It's you, ours. You, you, you can get own a piece. It. It's, mine, it's mine for, for yeah. four weeks. That's for or sure. Or a couple months alone, four right. weeks with other people, and then another four weeks. With, it's mine. Now it's yours. Right. All right, I'm off. That's what's great about it. Huh. That's why I can do it. I gotta remember these things because I really. Well, it's recorded. It's more yeah. recorded. Yeah. So I, as I'm fired from the four shows, so I, <laughs> yeah. I have a well, lot of time to be here on my podcast. That's right. You'll never be hired again because you said I don't want any more jobs. Um, I, I've got it because we're we're going to wrap up here pretty quick. But um, I have a, a, a few questions. I do want to just get some answers from, quick even if answers, it's just right. quickly. Um, if one if it's if ridiculous. one of your mentors, either someone you have mentioned or someone you haven't, were to see a piece of your work today. Where would they find themselves in it? Would they see themselves reflected in your work? For me, Les Waters and simplicity. Done. Taught me how to be simple. <laughs> you know, people may disagree when they see my work that it's simple, but, <laughs> but right. it's simplicity and trusting stillness and trusting uh, that. No one. No. I'll pass. What You'll about pass. Um, I'll pass on that. Is that okay? okay? That's okay. Pass. You can pass on that. Um, why don't uh, people understand better what a director does? Or actually, maybe I should just ask you, what does a director do? Well, can I, I think I'm, can I answer that? I'm actually going to answer, I think, the other one. I feel like there's, for me, I feel like there's, um, there's a preciousness to directing or there's a preciousness to the theatrical process that people are not, there's no transparency. In other words, um, people don't know what the process, don't come in and sort of see what a direct, you know, everyone can see, they feel very comfortable with actors because they see what an actor does and they feel like they know them and they see what, right, you know, they can read what a writer does. Um, I am a huge fan of actually having people in, in the rehearsal process to demystify what it is we do and to not make it precious because I also happen to think that um, and this is going back to regional theater and having these experiences where people are sitting in on rehearsal. 
it demystifies it and also empowers an audience uh, to engage in, in, in the work. Um, so I think that we're hidden. I think we're not, ta- you don't ever see directors on talk shows. You don't, I mean, there's this, but you know, you, we're just not, we're not visible. We're invisible. Unless you're Robert Wilson or, uh, right. you know, Gina Bausch, Bausch or, right. uh, you know. Uh, I guess I would answer that in, in a kind of, I, it sounds like I'm going to be kind of cheeky, but I don't, I don't mean it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really care if people know what I do. I don't, I've mm-hmm. never, it's never been a question for me. Uh, I, I think they should see the work, and that's what they learn what I do. Um, and the more they see it, the more they kind of figure out what I do. And it's sort of hard for me to sort of worry about just cause them knowing all the things that go into the components, because then it's like justifying my work while I'm doing it. When, in fact, my work is is just what it is. And so it's hard for me to... I, when you asked it earlier, I was like, yeah. I can't even... I could, like, the yeah. question almost just fell out of my head. It's almost like when somebody asked you in that um, article, you know, your interview about being a woman director, oh, how yeah. difficult it is. Just, I can't even address that question because it takes me from actually doing the work. Yeah. Right? And yeah. sort of, that's how I sort of feel yeah. about this in, in my own way. Sorry. That's not a really great answer. But I think, it's, but I, think mm-hmm. I, I, I think that uh, I'm, I, I totally hear what you're saying, but I also, I guess I'm egotistical enough or love what I do so much that I actually feel like... Um, you know, that is interesting. It is interesting to me, you know, sure. and interesting. It, it's like when you go see visual art and you, this is, I was thinking about this ear- earlier today, you know, when you see a piece of art, right by the, there's a plaque that says this is made of wood and uh, metal and this, and the artist was thinking this, or you're not even the artist was thinking this, but this is what this is made of. And you go up and you look at it really closely and you say, oh yeah, I see the wood, or I see the, you know, I see that brush stroke. I think that's, you know, and that's mm-hmm. all part of, and you cannot help but when those elements are are um, articulated on a plaque next to the piece you can't it, for me it's impossible not to think of the artist actually making that piece of work that's true so um, I like I like the feeling I like to kind of imagine what what's going on when after, when they're watching what I do like I like that participation like not necessarily asking them do you like the show but just sort of hearing yeah no it's, oh yeah. That, that's the part where I love yeah. the that's where they learn about me Right. I don't think but everything else up until then is just I have so much fun in the room that I yeah. don't I'm not wanting. I let people in all the time. I don't really even notice them. So it's mm-hmm. it's transparent. I think it's great, yeah. But uh, anyway, you have um, the big have, fun yes, last I, question. The, yeah, I have a big fun last question which is I'm I'm putting in front of um uh Annie and John their well, uh, a yours. list of their but credits. Wait, I don't have that many. Um, hmm? And what I, what I'm curious about is to have you all look at the uh, list of plays that each other have uh, uh, directed in um, over the course of your career and see if there's something on each other's list that you've got. There's a, nothing the, here. You don't know that any you've of the stuff that I've got a hankering though <laughs> that, you know. that you'd like to get your or a writer that you'd like to. Um, mm-hmm. Is there something that strikes you as? Boy, I'd like to do. I'd like to do this. Oh. I'd like to do a production of this. Wow, I've hit all of them. Do you know any of them? You, no, I know you've one. You've directed all of them. No, oh. I know. I only know one play. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. What is the one play? Let's say Degrees of Separation. Uh, yeah. Everything yeah. else is... Oh, The Winter's Tale. I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what's good about, yeah, you having done all this. I would love to do Happy Days. Love to do Happy Days. I would love to do Ghosts, and maybe I will do Ghosts next season, hopefully. Um. Okay. Um. Uh. I love. You don't. You. You, you don't. Can't. It's. It's. 
Ann Wa- I love Ann Washburn, Chloe Moss, Kate Ryan, Adam Bach, Todd Almond. I would work with Jordan Harrison in a second. Yeah, Karen, I love Karen Hartman's plays. I've done as many as I can. So I like your playwrights. Yeah, thanks. Good playwrights. I'm lucky. Well, I want to thank you all for your time today. I, I, I will say that when um, when I was preparing for this and I talked to uh, many folks who have worked with you, there were words that came up that described you both. Um, and I'll just sort of close with, you know, gregarious and generous, dynamic artists, ambitious, uh, risky, fearless, um, and influential, uh, which I think is... For both um, of us? For both of you. Aww. So these are sort of uh, descriptors <laughs> that that, uh, that you two shared. So I cool. want to say I um, completely agree, and uh, it's been great to talk with you today. Thanks Thank for having so me. Thanks for having us, and so nice to meet you, John. Yeah. yeah. Talk to you uh, yeah. after this. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union, celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.